Maybe it will be a fit for me, and maybe it won't. And I have a lifetime to figure it out. There's just a lot of talk about Jesus in the culture today. Uh, it seems to be that everybody some ways has an opinion. Uh, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, what are people saying that you know about him? I guess there's several different reactions people to have Jesus uh, have to Jesus and well, one is that Jesus is kind of popular today. He really is. Sometimes, though, he's also seen as somebody who's going to restrict my freedom. He's going to, if, if I have Jesus in my life, there's a lot of things I'm not going to be able to do anymore. So he's kind of a killjoy, you know? Uh, or there's a lot of people that just think that the whole question and conversation about Jesus is irrelevant. Um, what we've seen over the past several decades in America is kind of a steady decline of what we would call organized religion. Um, but do you know what's been going on, uh, what's been steadily increasing while organized religion has been steadily decreasing? It's something that we would call personal spirituality. Personal spirituality, where, where people really are on a spiritual quest. They really want to find out what, as some of them would characterize, what's right for me? What's right for me? You know, there's a quote by Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, that says, God created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor. <laughs> God has created man in his own image, and man has returned the favor. There's, there's, there's just kind of a longing to make Jesus what we want Jesus to be. You heard some of that in the video. We want to make him personal. We want to make him somebody that makes us feel good. We want to be warmed by the thought of Jesus. Johnny Cash recorded a song called Personal Jesus. Urban Outfitters. Any, have you anybody ever heard of Urban Outfitters? You have? Okay, if you're cool, you've heard of Urban Outfitters. How many of you have heard of out, Urban Outfitters? Yeah. yeah, okay, that's what I thought. That's right. <laughs> well, Urban Outfitters came out with a line of T-shirts, and they put the picture of Jesus that people would recognize from their Sunday school class because we really don't know what he looked like, right? Okay? But they put that familiar picture of Jesus, and they put a slogan underneath of it. One of the slogans was, Jesus is, a, Jesus is my homeboy. Now, I have no idea what that means. I guess that makes me not cool, but I just don't know what that means. Another slogan was, Jesus surfs without a board. Yeah. If you don't get it now, you'll get it later today. Walking on water, okay, yeah, all right. But most people have an opinion about him. There's a lot of people today that think he's cool. There's a lot of people that think he's a good teacher, maybe a prophet, someone to learn some great things from, maybe a great moral teacher. You know, most religions have something to say about Jesus, too. It's interesting when you study this. Muslims have this in their Quran. It says, Christ, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger. Many were the messengers that passed away before him. One of the leaders of Buddhism is the Dalai Lama. And one of his books is entitled, The Good Heart, a Buddhist perspective on the teachings of Jesus. Hindus say that the teenage Jesus traveled across Southeast Asia, learning yogic traditions, returning home to be a guru to the Jews. 
Devout Jews generally view Jesus as one of the false prophets that came and have appeared randomly throughout history. Why is it that it seems as though everyone has an opinion about him? About who he was? And and we're in a seven-week series called Explore God, and we're joining with 370 other churches in the Austin area, several here in Georgetown, and we're looking at seven very important questions. And our question today is simply this, is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really God? Most people, and even most religions... Well, they have a favorable view of Jesus, to be quite honest about it. That they would not say that he was a terrible man. Uh, most of them would say he's somewhat of a good man. He's a positive historical character, if you will. But many deny that he is really God. Maybe you're here today and you have that view. I, I, I could go with Jesus being a great guy, but I just can't. I can't go with the whole incarnate God coming down and becoming like us. So I believe Jesus was a good man, but not God. And if that's your belief today, I would just contend with that a little bit to say that that's not a viable option. It's not a well-thought-out position. Uh, Because of this, Jesus said he was the Son of God. Jesus said he could forgive sins. Jesus said that he would rise from the dead. Jesus said that he was the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the way, the truth, the life. These are things that he said about himself. There's instances where Jesus simply says that I am the I am, which was how Jehovah God presented himself in the Old Testament. So how can a person believe that Jesus is a great man and not believe what Jesus said about himself? Either you have to believe that Jesus was, a, was God, or he's lying about the whole thing, or he's some crazy guy. Those really are your three options. So, is he really God? What I'm going to offer to you today is that how you answer that question rests solely on one thing. It's another question. And it's this. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if you think it through, you're going to see that what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin that all your beliefs will follow, including whether or not Jesus is really God. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as our source text today. And the Apostle Paul in writing this letter to the church at Corinth, is making a valid argument, if you will, for the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's uh, 50-some verses long, but I'm going to read parts of it and make comments as we go through. So let's start with 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. He says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and that is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, 
and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And so there's this evidence of the resurrection being given. He says in this passage that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to more than 500 people. Paul even states that some of these folks are still around. Some of these folks are still alive. And he was kind of implying to the Corinthian church, why don't you go out and find some of these witnesses and talk to them yourself? Now for us today, I would present it this way. If the resurrection were a hoax, all of these 500 or so people would have to have kept this secret of the conspiracy to their dying day. And let me ask you, could 500 people keep a secret For one day, let alone for the rest of their lives, all of them, not one of them breaking the conspiracy. You know, not only does it seem highly unlikely, it's statistically impossible. And not only that, the disciples were willing to die for this. And so you have to think, if this were a hoax, why would these men give their very lives for it? So the first point of evidence is that 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. We have witnesses. Now these these other uh, evidences aren't in the scripture today, but they're found in other parts of the word. And one is that uh, who were the primary witnesses of the resurrection? Who were the first to run to the tomb that morning and see the empty tomb? Well, we know from the story of the resurrection that they were women. Now... We know from history that women's testimony, uh, sorry women, (laughs) but it simply was not valid. It would not have been allowed in the courts. A woman never came to, was never summoned to court to testify about something that she saw. And so again, if we're perpetuating a hoax, (laughs) why would we choose women as our primary source witness? Another bit of evidence is the enemy attestation, which is commonly used of the resurrection. It means that those who were enemies of Christ uh, also attest to an empty tomb. You remember the story, right? Uh, The the authorities who had crucified Christ, who had posted the guards, they had to come to terms with the reality that the stone was moved. And inside, guess what? There wasn't. (laughs) A body. And so they had to come up with a conspiracy of their own, right? Remember they said the disciples stole him away and they've taken his body somewhere? But in producing their own conspiracy, what did they also validate? They validated that the tomb was empty. And so enemies that had nothing to gain, in fact everything to lose, have confirmed the resurrection. So the resurrection is important, and we'll move now into the 12th verse of chapter 15 and see the importance of the resurrection for us today. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, We are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Are you following this? (laughs) 
then those who have then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've died, they're gone. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Can you believe that there were people in Paul's time that didn't believe that the dead could be resurrected? Do you think there's anybody in our world today that believes that the dead can't be resurrected? They believe in a total natural world. Everything that is... Everything that you can see is all that there is. There's no supernatural. There's no life after death. But I want you to think about that for a minute. If there is no resurrection, if there is no life after death, if, if death is final and when you die, your existence is no more, then I have to ask the next question that follows right on that, and that is then what is the meaning of this whole thing? <laughs> is there any meaning to our existence here? Paul addresses it in the chapter, in the same chapter, verse 32. If you look at verse 32 in your Bibles, it says this. He makes the logical argument. He says, if the dead are not raised, if there is no life after death, then what should we all do? Just think about that. If there is no life after death, if when you die, you're dead, you're gone, that's it. There's no ramifications for your behavior, nothing. You're just dead. If there's no life after death, how should we then logically live? Well, he says, eat, drink, and live it up. For tomorrow, guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. In other words, your life really is meaningless. (laughs) So just pleasure yourself for years. Just pleasure yourself for the years you spend here on this planet and then just die. I like how Tim Keller addresses this in his book, The Reason for God. He says this. Now, you have to understand, Tim Keller pastors his church in New York City. And uh, Easter, he has, uh, his church is filled with people who are kind of skeptical. But, you know, it's Easter. Got to go to church. I hear it's a big church, good church. Like, I hear he's a famous author. I'm going to go to his church. So he knows on Easter Sunday he's got a lot of secular skeptics in the crowd. And so he writes this in his book, The Reason for God. He says, Each year at Easter I get to preach on the resurrection. And in my sermon I always say to my skeptical secular friends that even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. And he explains, he says, Most of them care deeply about justice for the poor, alleviating hunger, disease, caring for the environment. Yet many of them believe that the material world was just caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually just burn up by the death of the sun. They find it so discouraging that so few people care about justice without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. (laughs) Why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end nothing we do makes any difference at all? If the resurrection of Jesus happened, however, that means there's infinite hope. There's infinite reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. So the importance of the resurrection, my first point is without the resurrection, life has no meaning. And folks, this isn't just for the Christian, this is for every person on the planet. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no hope. There's no purpose 
One of the things he says in this passage is that the, if the resurrection isn't true, he says, not only you Christians, your faith is worthless, but you Christians are a bunch of liars, scamming people. You're false witnesses. And I had to stop and think about that for a minute. And you know, as I prayed about that and I start think, was thinking about that, pondering that, well, you know how the Holy Spirit sometimes does? He makes it very personal. And so since the Holy Spirit made it very personal with me, guess what? Is the resurrection real in you? Has it happened? Am I living a resurrected life? Has my life been so changed, so transformed that the new resurrected spiritual life of Jesus is the very life that lives in me? Has the old me with its desires for sinful things been put to death just like Jesus on the cross and now the life I'm living is something completely new, changed, and different? It is something like, it is nothing like the old me. It reacts to things differently. It has power that wasn't there before. It has a deep sense of joy that wasn't there before that the world can't seem to rob away from me. So is the resurrection real to me? It's a vitally important question. Because if you're not living from the resurrected life, as you share who you are with the world, and you say, I'm a Christian, but if the resurrected life is not what is being lived through you, you're just peddling a theology. A new way to believe. And the resurrection is far more than that. It's, it's a... Is it a belief? Sure, it's a belief. But it's not just a belief that you hold. It is an experience that you can bear witness to. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Amen. I know the old me and I'm glad he's dead. Do you feel that way? You know the old you, right? Aren't you glad they're dead? I have been crucified, the old me that I was born with, the separated from God me, the sinful me, the person who thought that sinning was natural and inclined to do that, that me has been crucified with him. It's no longer alive. I don't no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I, the, the, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. <laughs> I'm not depending on me. I'm still in this earthly tent. I'm still in this earth suit, whatever you want to call it. <coughs> but inside is a different me. And I'm not depending on me every day to get this life lived. I can get up in the morning and have faith in the Son of God who lives in me. And I can turn to Him and surrender to Him and say, I'm going to live from your life, not mine. Without the resurrection, Christianity is a fraud. 
Now, do you think in those, <laughs> that kind of strong language that Paul's saying here, without the resurrection, everything about this faith, everything about it, the cross, everything is a fraud. He uses strong language here. He says, if the resurrection isn't true, uh, the preachers, you're just preaching in vain. He says, Christians, your faith is worthless. In fact, he says, Christians, you are the most duped people in the world. You are the most to be pitied in all of the world. <coughs> How important is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He's basically saying that the cross means nothing. The, the, the hanging Jesus, the beaten Jesus means nothing. Really? It's like this. A man sits in prison for his crimes. He's a, he's a, a first-rate criminal. He's stolen from people. He's, he's done all kinds of things. He has a life sentence. He's just... Bad. Another man comes along and says, you know what? I want to pay this man's debt to society. I want to make restitution for his crimes. And so he goes on his journey. He finds all of those that have been offended and taken uh, advantage of by this criminal. He finds them. He reimburses them for all of their losses. He makes amends for everything this criminal had done. He pays the full price for the crimes that were committed by the person sitting in the cell. And so news gets to the prisoner that his debt to society has been paid in full. And how does he respond? <laughs> wow, who would love me that much? Who would care for me that much that they would go out and them being innocent and pay for all of my crimes? And do all of that for me. Who would love me like that? Who would care for me like that? And so day after day, month after month, year after year, as he sits in his cell, he is so grateful for the man who went to all the trouble to pay his debt. What's wrong with the picture? He's still in his cell. He's still dead in his sin. The death of Jesus on the cross <coughs> paid your debt and paid my debt in full. Amen. Amen. Uh, not, uh, nothing's left undone. I don't have to get another sacrifice somewhere down the road for my sin. <laughs> I'm not waiting around for another one because I've, I've done more sin maybe than Jesus could have handled, so I need another sacrifice. No. He has paid for your debt and my debt in full on Friday and on Sunday what happened <laughs> the prison door swung open and what happened and I walked out a free man a free man because of the transforming new resurrected life of Jesus fills the place where sin has been removed and our spirit is born new. So without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. You're still sitting in your prison. You're still dead in your sin. There's no new life. There's no hope for heaven. 
the end of the chapter, verse 50, he says this, And now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. The resurrection gives us hope. It grants us hope for our future. It's an eternal life. It grants us that very eternal life. It says that that which is perishing cannot inherit that which is imperishable. That which is dying can't, can't inherit that which is eternal. And so Jesus on the work on the cross and the empty tomb came and allowed us to have this imperishable spirit that can inherit this eternal life. The resurrection has placed within the heart of the Christian a new life, an eternal life. So because of the resurrection, our hope, our spirit is eternal. He says in this passage that in the twinkling of an eye, the resurrected Jesus will change the remaining part of us that has not already been changed. Do you realize that there's a part of you that is still the same as it was before you came to know Jesus? And if you're not sure about that, you just look around the room. There's a part of us that is continually heading towards death. But there's coming a moment. It says in the twinkling of an eye, where even our bodies will be changed, will be redeemed, will be part of the whole entire redemptive plan of God. Verse 57, towards the end there, he says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus that has conquered sin, conquered death, has won victory. I don't ever get up any morning and think this way. I don't think, I will, okay, there's Satan, Jesus. I wonder who's going to win today. Now, it seems a little sarcastic and facetious to say that, but I know so many Christians that live their life that way. They, they just feel like they're a pawn in Satan's path sometimes, and they're always talking about being attacked, and all of the time talking about being, oh, he's, Satan's overwhelming. What? We have not been called to go out and fight and win the victory. We have been called to stand in the victory that's been won. Amen. And there's a huge difference. And so when the temptation and the darts of the world come flying at me, and Satan, he comes flying at me, I can stand knowing that I am, first of all, seated with Jesus in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, right? 
I have been clothed with his righteousness, right? 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, so there are these thoughts that come through my mind that I can take captive the thought of temptation that's coming my way and I can stand in the victory that has been provided for me through an empty tomb on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Amen. We live in victory because of the resurrection. And so back to the original question. <coughs> is Jesus really God? Well, if the resurrection is true, Jesus is God. If the resurrection is true, quite frankly, it changes everything. Because if it's true, then everything Jesus said is validated. And if everything Jesus said is true, then only Jesus brings a person to God and only Jesus brings a person life and only Jesus brings hope for heaven. Only Jesus can pay the price for a person's sin. Only Jesus can give new life. We live in a world that wants everything to be different shades of gray. You know what I mean? We don't like to hear right, wrong. Our culture embraces words like Perhaps or maybe. You see it in these videos a lot. We don't like words like definitely or absolutely. It's especially true when it comes to the area of spirituality. I, you get this impression that in our culture today, people see spirituality kind of on this continuum, and you got very spiritual people and very non spiritual <laughs> people, and we all fit somewhere in here. But if Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is God, well, then everybody has to decide what they're going to do with him. Everybody. Could it be so simple that people who believe in Jesus... are given eternal life both now and in heaven and those who don't die in their sin to live forever separated from all that is good in this perpetual state of regret is it really that simple is it that black and white one of the illustrations i use quite often is the story from the titanic and it's it's so applicable after the Titanic went down, uh, family members of those that were on the ship would come down to the dock and every morning they would tack a piece of paper up on the wall and on the piece of paper there'd be two columns of names. And there's just two words. There's, there's one word at the top of each column. And on the left-hand side they say it said saved. And on the right-hand side it said lost. In the names. There's really no gray area there, is there? You either made it or you didn't. And that's the reality of our life with, in this world. We're either transformed and delivered and living the resurrected life of Jesus, or we're not.
And as we close, I just want to just want to talk to you for a minute because I've had some conversations lately that with people who don't know the Lord. And what I've what I've come to conclude is this that people are very open to talking about God. They're very open to talking about spiritual things. But when it comes to Jesus, it gets very personal, uncomfortable in my space. (laughs) And sometimes they'll brush it off and they'll just say, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe, he, yeah, I believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead. I believe that. But you get the very real sense they don't know Jesus. They're not living the resurrected life. There's something that they're just, and they feel very uncomfortable when you're trying to introduce them to a person who has a desire to have a relationship with them. Well, that's one set of conversations I have sometimes. Another set of conversations I have sometimes are Christians who are uncomfortable with him. I don't like all that relationship stuff. I don't like to be intimate, close with God. You know, it's just an uncomfortability with the reality of God in their life. The realness of him. And so it really comes down to this. The big question all of us face is, do we know him? Do we know Jesus? And Christians, if you're here today and you've been disconnected with him or you've made it all about study, if you've made it all about doing, if you've made it all about spiritual ministry, if you've made it about something other than him, well, it's time to come home to him If you've never made the choice really for a personal walk with Jesus, today's the day to do that. (coughs) To say, I'm tired, I'm I'm not going to just believe in Christianity, I'm going to be Christian. And that means I have the transforming new life of Christ in me. So let's pray.